Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Transcendence Podcast. I'm G.O.D. And I'm Ray. And we're your hosts. Take a journey with us into the realms of some of humanity's most inner thoughts and theories about what lies before us and beyond the other side. Take a step back with us from the day-to-day heavy burdens of this constant evolving life. From awakening the collective, astrology, the spiritual divine, holistic health, shamanism, and quantum theory, to the frequencies and vibrations of our universe, history, religion, numerology, and so much more. We spend countless hours researching to bring you the breakdown of information from some of the greatest minds in these fields and even our own experiences. We're here to challenge your thoughts so that you can reshape your own minds and beliefs into ones that better serve you. We hope you enjoy the discussions about the supernatural and the ancient knowledge that we have become so fond of and we wish to share with you so that it may also help you on your quest in this human experience we're living. Let the transcendence begin. Godspeed and share on. Like and subscribe to The Daily Transcendence on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. To show support for the show, we ask you to join us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, and YouTube. There you can find more content, updates on new episodes, and more personal interactions from both Gio and I. We want to hear from you all and connect, so message us or email us at thedailytranscendence at gmail.com. As always, we entirely appreciate your support in allowing us to bring you this transmission. We're, com- we're going to show this awareness of into now more of the deeper details and seeing uh, more of the tangibility with what all this um, this type of allegorical system that is in our reality. We've kind of given the overview of reality as well through the lens of the screen and the matrix as well. Um, so now seeing deeper into those universal algorithms um, to kind of closer, like more closely observe them, I guess allows us to really better observe even ourselves and our own awareness and our own function within this reality, I guess it is kind of, kind of where you're going. Yeah. I mean, I totally enjoy anything that has a good analogy or metaphor. And it's like, you're, you're, you're reaching down to another, uh, or a lower state of consciousness or a simplified more state of consciousness by using a metaphor like this and able to, you're, you're giving the ability for more people to connect dots and including yourself. I mean, it's like Einstein said, if you don't know something simply, you don't know it good enough, right? So it's thinking of these these metaphors and coming coming up to to, to moments of, of hardcore like research and deep topics, but being able to bring it up to a simple metaphor is vital because if you do that, you've gained a, at least an overall understanding and then you can go into details later. You know, uh, when I learned playing guitar, it's like I went into just kind of getting a bigger picture and then allowed me to focus then in on the details in a more correct manner. And it, it's like I didn't waste time. So in this metaphor, we have how we have social media and we use the internet and we all know that our data is worth something to the people at the top and they create an algorithm. And an algorithm 
is basically a step-by-step procedure that defines a set of instructions that must be carried out in a specific order, and it produces a desired result. They're you know generally developed for languages and stuff like that, but the universe itself has its way of of archiving and documenting, and I think it's through the language of frequency and thoughts and emotions, and it creates an algorithm on a collective level and then on a personal level for all sentient beings. Yeah, agreed, agreed, and there's a lot that proves it um, just in everyday life, especially when we look back further in life as well. Um, and I think it comes up more, especially when you're looking at the trying to find the origin of things. I think that's where people get lost too, is when they're going to the origins, they're looking to come to this, this definitive dead end to be like, yeah, that's, that's exactly the starting point without. And then all of a sudden they may come across something that is not necessarily related, but they might see the synchronicity in it as well. And it kind of, I could see how it can bring up uh, this sense of denial about that having anything to do with it, because then it would kind of maybe blow a hole. uh, So the person thinks blow a hole in their whole theory of this chronological way of things kind of coming about or involvement with certain things. Um, And, uh, you know, also with certain types of agendas, you know, agendas that may be there and that we're we're putting it to a personified agenda of some type of uh, whether it's some type of beings or something like that. And we, and maybe in that sense, if we have a certain, maybe a spiritual understanding, we can't see, uh, how that would be, you know, kind of part of the algorithm, part of nature, especially if there's certain people that have an understanding of God. And I know that I've had to ask, you know, this question myself, um, being like, okay, well, why would that be part of this, this universal, uh, way of, of things being constructed and coming about. Um, and I, that, that therefore I've come more to the, a little bit of a conclusion of being like, well, just think simple. It's cause and effect. You know, that's been my way of understanding it and seeing how maybe the certain identification as to maybe say something being bad comes from the absolute perception um, and this, this desire for things and, that desire creating pleasure and us becoming drunken with pleasure. And this could go back to basic root things, but you know, even, even things that we wouldn't consider to be being drunken with pleasure because we desire it. Um, but this drunkenness with pleasure leads to a feeling of when you're without, then you're miserable or you're in hell or you're only focused on trying to obtain that one thing and you lose other aspects of yourself too. Right. Yeah, you, you you start to become dependent mm-hmm. uh, on the external, which I think that's what we have to learn to undo in a way because when you're dependent on the external, you need something outside of you. Now something has control of you. Yeah. And, and especially our own algorithms, right? Like it, the universe is monitoring your thoughts and your emotions and it's like, well, okay, so this is what you've been searching for. So I'm guessing this is what you're looking for. So, okay, here, I'm going to present it to you. And if you are unconscious about this, all you have to do is look at your life and see, well, what is it that's repeating constantly? Am I getting the same types of relationships? Am I getting the same type of jobs? Am I getting treated the same? Is this, is this some sort of algorithm that was, uh, you know, enveloped by me as a kid 
uh, where, you know, something happened, a trauma or a certain type of treatment from a parent or, or anything like that. And then it's like, well, it's like I kept going back to it. And I, and because I've searched for it so much that now it's like the universe or the source of the algorithm is like, okay, this is what you want. And so things get engraved in us and using the algorithm metaphor, it's like, okay, just, you got to change what you're searching for. And, but to do that, you have to clear your history, Mm -hmm. right? Using like the browser metaphor of like, you got to clear your history. You got to maybe clean up your friends list. You got to uh, maybe clean off your page a little bit and wipe off the, the the past memories that you don't want posted on your page. And when you do this and you think in this metaphor, then what it does is it unlocks a simple way for you to really understand how you're looking at life. And it, it ends up becoming a science. Like you can go this, and this is what we're going to do today is we're going to, we're going to go into a little bit of science and a lot of examples of algorithms in the universe, mm-hmm. uh, whether they are personal or collective and, like I said, it, it's really, it's for the application. It's for your mind to, re, for, to let it sink in. And in a way, this is its own little allegory in its own, right? Or parable or whatever you want to call it, right? So it's like, uh, by, by understanding this, then you get to really take back the control you have of what's manifesting in your life. Uh, uh, and, and also keeping in mind the concept of where with astrology, it's like, but you also have things you're assigned to in this life as well. So it's like, I, I don't know yet of what I would call that, but it's like said tasks that you're using the search bar for. It's like, are you, do you know what you're looking for too? So once you've cleaned the, cleared the history, what is it that you're really searching for? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense though, too, because you constantly hear about, oh, trying to escape the matrix and in order to, you know, come to a grips with what life is really about and why we're here and all this stuff. But I think that's can also be ineffective in a way. I feel like, maybe it's the same thing like that you need to um you need to understand c first like letter c first before you understand um a and b that create c you know what i'm saying so like maybe there's a way of you know coming into this grips and understanding not necessarily escaping the matrix cuz you could escape it maybe but where are you left with after that um but not escaping it but learning about our own awareness through the Maya matrix as well. And like kind of just to, I like the little bit of the description of like the Maya matrix being like, um, you know, basically somewhere before time and space existing, uh, there's like an event that takes place uh, or an attention, an intention that's to be experienced. It's an initiation of life, right? Boom. And it's a life to be experienced individually where each being becomes like unique and meant to go through different unique circumstances and experiences. And this isn't just people beings, you know, this is any type of beings, animals, whatever it may be. And it's kind of like, just like how the sun sends infinite rays around itself. The source of life has sent many rays of light from itself. And each ray is different than all the others. And it carries with it a set of intentions that makes it unique. And you can see the, I think that's also a great way of to encompass the 360 of the Zodiac and the separation of the heavens, basically. Um, And that's where we kind of get maybe of the archons to explain a little bit or to understand the expression of maybe this, um, this source of light and how it's, you know, it's not separated. It's still part of the sun 
but therefore, but it's emanating and therefore it's expansive and it kind of shows the encompassment of, of life. And it's funny because like when you look at, you would think like, oh, okay, that happens somewhere else and it's down towards us. But if there's the as above, so below and as within, so without, take when you look at a zodiac chart, right? A birth chart. That center point is supposed to be you. That's the emanation. And each house is like the rays. That's basically how I'm seeing it. It's like almost like that's that's the rays coming off. And this is where we kind of again, again, again can begin to look at uh, the different teachings through ancient religions or cuneiform tablets, uh, um, and then even all the different depictions through the astrology throughout you know medieval traditional astrology and and before all that too. Um, so therefore, like each ray is honored is honored with a mission, um, and. You don't know how deep or how much of a part you have in that, you know what I'm saying, coming from maybe this emanation as well. So I think that's a part to kind of understand the Maya in that way. That's why you can't discount the matrix too. You can't, you can't not just about escaping it. And this is like, once again, this is the over overcoated water under the bridge type, you know, perspective that people have and go into things, especially with conspiracies or the truth community and everything. Um, and yeah, it's great. There could be an awakeness and an awareness to all the deception going on, but are you coming into grips with your awareness? And the awareness is the actual true connection to source, not the self. The self, you know, you may be identifying the self as the ego. You don't know that you don't see that that's the ego, but the ego is just there to facilitate, um, the perception of the reality that you're in. And to kind of give expressions by identifying with things within the environment. Yeah, I, uh, I I would say that it's 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 useful for anybody to figure out a way to see this stuff and and truly relate to it. And I do feel like this is probably one of the most relatable ways because we all use the internet, we all use uh, computers and stuff, and to, to to see it as our everyday experiences is, is not only all this serious spiritual stuff, but to see it as the fun, lighted, hearted, lighthearted metaphors. And it's funny when you start spotting them, right? When you open up, we've talked about this last week, where, where when you open up the synchronicity, all of a sudden the world's manifesting to the, to, to what it is you're searching for. And you know, what you seek is seeking you and all of that. But when it comes down to like the concepts of the archons and the concept of uh, the concepts of the Zodiac and what's going on. It is its own algorithm. It's, it is its own set of symbols, but it doesn't make it definitive in a way where it's colored in by these things, but it's a matter of, does it serve your consciousness as well? That's why it's good to check in on your, on your history. Where are you getting all your facts? Where are you getting all your beliefs? And if so, if you don't even know where you got them from, or you never even really fully thought about these things, it's good to go back and check. It's like, Hey, am I really interested in this thing? You know, like is, is, should I bookmark this or should I just delete it beyond my way and figure out another way of doing it? Uh, It was a big conversation I had earlier today where, you know, people need to just find what works for them. You know, and so in this new age we're harboring in, it's all about discovering who you are as the as the God self, not the ego self. It's finding the higher self. It's finding the soul opposed to the ego. And you do that through more of the act of feeling and intuition. And a lot of us are shut off from that. So 
How can we use these little logical ways and metaphors to then work the brain back into being holistic again and how we could use start using symbols and religions and, and mythologies in the correct manner? But it's a matter of like just knowing that these are all pink slips and they're all just access ways, doorways to walk into different frequencies and different parallel realities or different layers of reality according to what it is you need in the moment. And we all have our own personal journey. So whether you are Christian, Catholic, if you're Gnostic and you believe in the Archons, you believe in a screen that's out to do it, it doesn't matter. It's, I believe we're all at a point in time in our lives where if you become just a touch spiritually aware, whatever way you're starting to see it or wherever your journey is at the moment, whatever grade you're in, whatever level you're on, you're meant to be there. But but the only wrong thing to do is to to discontinue progressing and seeing things in new light and new ways and, and, you know, preventing yourself from expanding your consciousness. So the as above, so below thing, I just think, uh, we and we emphasize it, is it's the most universal. I think we can all really understand it, just like we can understand the algorithm metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all, fits you know. it's And I think that's what keeps us trapped in and locked in to expanding beyond our horizons of, of you know, what we truly are as well. Um, and we've seen how it's, that's also created, uh, cults basically. And it's not to say that certain cults are bad. You can consider religion a cult as well. Um, and they're powerful because they encourage people to ignore their own innate guidance at times and follow certain rules and certain people. Um, and it's there's through generalization of principles, the person thinks that the part of the path is right, then everything else in this path must be right um, through fears, believing that if they stray, you know, stray away from it um, or leaving it to, to even think about leaving it, um, it's it's going to be detrimental to themselves or something bad's going to happen to them. And then there's also the reinforcement of beliefs where you have uh there's the the followers reinforce their beliefs by repeating words through literature, songs, uh, certain acts and rituals, and you know judgment from maybe the leaders of those cult like things. Um, and most of the times, all this happens because we aren't consulting, or like people aren't consulting their own innate guidance. That's that whole inner tuning fork that we said too before. Like and it's beginning to understand that and also not to deny it through looking at all these different allegories and through the uh, synchronicities that we're seeing and all the parallels within a lot of the teachings rather than picking one teaching and going with it and thinking that's it. You know, it's, it's limiting in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so what we could do is learn to take small steps, uh, I guess a way like spend our beliefs and take slow, small steps that are simple and seeing concepts. And that's what we, we want to do today is break down the, the algorithm concept where there is, you know, plenty of different types of algorithms where we have things like religions and astrology, mythologies, stuff like that. Also the gematria algorithm is, is humongous. And there's so many parallels to that and how numbers speak through. And then we also, um, we also have the the biblical, uh, which is one of my favorite because the Bible ends up starting to become parallel with anatomy and the cosmos, and it starts really creating this uh, its own like nature's algorithm of uh, of this symbolic language that's connecting all the dots 
and what we see in our body and in our minds and in ourselves, those layers end up becoming reflected out in, in maybe more vast and cosmic forms, but they're the same thing in itself. And it shows this interconnected reality. So it's a matter of, can we simplify and not get too crazy intellectual or spiritual woo-woo and, and break things down simply for any listener? And can we kind of, in a way, just make it simple enough to be you know, more digestible for anybody who's just starting to listen to this stuff. And then also on the other end, you know, we have the 12th graders um, in, you know, ready to, ready to graduate. You know, how can we bridge and come all together? And I guess in a, in a fashion, and if you've had heard the stuff, it's great to always rehear it and have it reiterated and re spoken and, and hear it in new ways. And uh, this, this algorithm thing came to mind to me and Gio last week. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think exploring it is fun um, and definitely definitely becomes a lot more eye opening to ourselves about really seeing deeper into what is actually being taught to us. You know, how are we actually taking them and why we have such a stubbornness towards deeper understanding or can't can't accept the fact that it can be both things sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you said it best last week about, uh, you know, um, people will mock or hate what they fear, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, people don't. People they they make fun of, they make fun of or you know go against something that they don't understand. Yeah, yeah. And when they do that, they close themselves off, and it's that's their own journey they're on. But if you could sit and learn to suspend your your beliefs and thoughts, real, and, and really learn to digest and really listen, I stand by also what I said last week with Ken Wheeler's claim of you know when you're listening to something, really listen, and maybe sometimes every thirty seconds to a minute, you sit there and think about it on your own. Also, maybe stop it, go search it, uh, and look for look into things for yourself, and and that's really the goal of the daily transcendence. Uh, upon many of is the getting you to think and in the and think and and develop and, and evolve in the way you're supposed to as a soul because we're all different with different signatures and so to me what's worked the best is simplifying analogies and uh, it's funny because when you learn spirituality and learn scripture you realize that that's all they are is it's symbolic it's it's there's parables there's there's allegories our life ends up being its own allegory and then it, with that you learn to see the patterns in life then it also goes into how you know a lot of societies left brained well a right brain function is recognizing patterns that's why musicians are a little off they're a little weird because they could they, you know, the, the corpus callosum strengthens, strengthens and you can process through the right side of the brain, which then you start seeing the patterns, you start making connections, you develop an intuition. And then so these practices of seeing things as symbolic and, and just metaphorical strengthens that. And then when you, when you, when you get strong enough in that area, you start seeing it in everyday life. You start seeing it in everyday things. And the universe actually has a lot to say and a lot to give through the simple things, you know, the sacred geometries in, in just in snowflakes and crystals and, um, you know, the way that certain things are shaped on the earth and sunflowers and hurricanes and galaxies and all this stuff, it's all has this math and that becomes its own algorithm in a sense. Um, I know that there's probably a better word and we're going to probably, you know, well, this will evolve. I don't think algorithm is completely, it's just cause I know everyone will understand it. it might even be logarithm, right? Isn't that a word mm-hmm. too? Logarithm. Um, Gio, right. Mm-hmm. I believe logarithm. so. 
almost has, I think it has the word logos in it, right? Mm -hmm. So, but possibly, but regardless, you at least understand the concept simply and, and just don't be too logical about, um, you know, technical about that, but you understand the point. So yeah, it's like seeing these patterns and recognizing them, knowing that nature has a language and it talks to us and, but you have to be kind of more in the right brain. You mm -hmm. have to be in the garden to the east. You have to be suspended in, in, in your beliefs and thought and get out of the logical mind. And when you do, you open yourself up to this frequency. And I believe a good practice is doing these exercises. Yeah. And there's so, and there's so many, there's so many things. I, I, I know even me and you were just saying, like, we know that there's so many parallels to so many different things that have this uh, deeper meaning to it as well. Um, whether it's through occult knowledge or whatever, that it's almost like, okay, where do you look? Where do you start? Well, honestly, like we were saying, like it comes to what, what catches you the most too. And I'm same way here. We'll probably, we're going to be discussing a few of, of, of those uh, allegories and algorithms and everything. Um, and, but we're going to be, you know, we're not, we won't even be scratching the surface of it because it's in all things. It's in it's in all of existence and all of creation as well. Um, so we'll obviously be, you know, building off that more and more throughout, you know, throughout the time, throughout the episodes and everything, you know, the, the whole continuation of of this podcast. Yeah, well said. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so where would you like to start? A lot of scientists now and a lot of people can agree with this is that we call this a holographic universe. So understanding it. Uh, a, a tiny definition of what a hologram is, I think would be a great place to start because understanding that and then seeing and recognizing it in nature and in the universe, because it does prove itself correct as long as you look in the right places, that the universe we live in is holographic and it is fractal, uh, fractal based. And then, and then so the, here's the first set of patterns we start to recognize on top of the golden mean or the uh, phi and all that. Fibonacci spiral, but uh, a hologram within a hologram, the whole, uh, the hole is within the, the whole, uh, sorry, the hole is within the part. No matter how many times you divide the whole, the part will always contain its totality. Just as higher consciousness realizations show that each part as seemingly small or separate, it is from total reality and the source of reality itself contains that very source. The deduction from the holographic experiments conclude that autonomy and separateness are an illusion and that all is one. Okay, so, and what that's really saying here is if I know that we've all had those little holographic toys before where, you know, like if it's like this picture and you're turning it left and right and you start seeing different images uh, and, or if you, if you break off a piece of one of those, these types of things, you see the picture of the hole within, or sorry, yeah, the hole is within these the tiny parts. So it's all interconnected and all the same thing. You have your body, which is 80, 90% water. Right. And, and you have an iron core with your blood and the heart. And then so does the planet Earth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's and, and that's goes back to that whole thing of there's whatever event it may be that creates this this matrix that we're encapsulated in and stuff like this is something that's constantly being described through many different writings. Um, but the essence is always remaining the same in a way. And it's what you just said. It's that we're part of source and will undergo like this uh this kind of like separate experience almost but we really won't be separate and we never actually will be there's there's this manifestation of dual consciousness one that becomes uh the consciousness that will remain with the one source and there is that part of us that is there um and it's focused towards it 
And then there's the other part that kind of has this experience of being in this Maya matrix reality. Like, so that's the thing. It's like you can become heavily focused on one of the two areas as well. And it doesn't come just through uh, logical thinking. That's where it comes to getting that right hemisphere part of the brain, especially to marry the two, marry the two into being able to have, I guess, if what you want to call it is almost like heaven on earth. But I use that with discretion as well. Yeah, well, that's a great example of allegory, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the marriage of the 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 bridegroom and all of that. Mm-hmm. It, it's all something that goes on within the mind and in consciousness. And so, and that's what the Bible is, is just this encoded book of allegory and parables to really describe what goes on in consciousness, what goes on in your body, in your, in your mind and all of that. And even that is a hologram or would prove the fact that like, if so, if things are working in my body a certain way and in my brain, and then it happens to be working on a macrocosmic level, that proves the holographic and fractal nature of the universe. So if we can create parallels and we could decode some of these stories and we could start realizing that these things are connected on more of a, a knowledge base than in the experiential and, and tangible side of it, of actually experiencing it and all that, you could see it and then it starts to prove it more and more. You know, because oneness, what like oneness is a concept found seemingly in every major belief system. Basically, every it's and any religion or any belief system always has that built in that spiritual. A lot of people probably at this point think it's woo woo of like, oh, oneness. Here we go. We're gonna meditate. Go on the you know we're gonna go on a retreat and we're gonna be within nature and in oneness. And but that stuff's all very real and it's built into these systems for a reason. And it starts to bridge to science and it bridges to the holographic universe because the universe shows itself as a projection and a hologram it does and the and there's some tests and experiments to prove this so it means that at a deeper level of reality all things in the universe are infinitely connected that the electrons and a carbon atom in the human brain are connected to the subatomic particles that comprise every salmon that swims, every heart that beats, and every star that shines in the sky. And to me, also, the sky reminds me of a bunch of neural networks. So you, once again, you see it, and I mean, I see it in my own way, Gio, you see it in your own way, and obviously there's ways where we can come together and agree, but uh, seeing life and nature itself and the holographic universe is something you get to experience once you open up, and, and I, I really, I beg everyone to find their own unique mm-hmm. ways of experiencing this, but first you have to accept the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think it's so cool too, to see it in that way, because, you know, this infinite source that we say, and, you know, understanding this um, reality that we're in is like the womb for, so that it's even able to be created and culminated, like everything that's in it, you need the womb so that it can start to grow and, and, you know, evolve as well too the same way that the uh uh that the fetus evolves in the in the uterus right so it's funny because you know in order to have this understanding as well i think um you have to have some sort of uh more of an understanding too on the soul and what that is and it's kind of funny how the soul also in spanish soul or you know in latin soul is the sun it's like the sun being that source of of energy as well in a way i'm not saying this is exactly where we come from or anything but when you look at that type of allegory of the sun and it giving off these these rays each ray 
uh, of the soul of the sun is like this creative, limitless, deathless, and uh, infinitely connected uh, um, uh, emanation. And it's like your soul and your true essence that carries your life purpose with it. And this lives in absolute oneness with everything. So how that comes into the manifestation into the physical as well comes through once again, like you were even saying this, this, um, this, this area of which it's able to formulate into this physical realm of time and space as well. Um, you know, whether it's through the carbon atoms and everything. And we see that even kind of a little bit in the biblical stories in Genesis too. And that, that, that all you know, the stories in Genesis are very parallel with multiple other teachings from multiple different religions and and ancient parts of of uh, of uh, society as well. Like and it shows you in through this story in a way of this coming from the divine coming into this womb and how we evolve into say the species or the creatures we're in and the type of uh, uh, experiences and struggles we have. And, and I think when you see deep, deeper past it, which we'll go into more, you really can see kind of maybe so what the purpose is, you know, like what the purpose is in a way um, without trying to think of it from our worldly way of what purpose may be. Yeah, purpose is definitely subjective, mm-hmm. uh, but I do think it's something you'll discover once you get everyone else's purpose mm-hmm. out of your mind. Yeah. You know, it is clearing the slate, and it is important that at the juncture we're at, it is clearing the slate. But a good way to approach clearing the slate is that, and what helped me in the beginning of my journey is, so if I couldn't get uh, rid of my emotional trash, and I couldn't get out of what was expected of me from others, and all my programming and everything outside of me, it was understanding the concepts of the universe. What drove me to change was understanding things at a fundamental level. So when you do that and you have the images in your mind of how things could, prop- could potentially be working, like we're in a holographic universe, uh, the whole is within each little part and we're all part of it and that the, the world itself around us is just nothing but a mirror to our consciousness. And, and we, when we get that, when we understand that, then when you're going to change an addiction or you're going to change a, a certain emotional pattern you have and all of that, and you realize everything that you're seeing outside of you is, an, of a, is a holographic version of everything that's on the inside of you and that you are projecting it, well, then at that point, you could take responsibility. You can you can claim that, that all of the stuff that you're experiencing. And if you don't want to agree with that, of course, this is where astrology came in and became very helpful because like, why am I getting that though? I don't feel like I'm projecting it. Well, your chart... I promise anybody to go to a real astrologer, pay the the few hundred bucks, and you will see a lot of the karma and a lot of the things are there. You're not manifesting those things sometimes. This is what got me to believe in the karmic journey. And we can go down that algorithm as well. Like that's Mm -hmm. also a whole nother topic because if everything was free will and you can manifest through this holographic nature of the universe and it was all up to you, I mean, a lot of the times, a lot of us don't know what we want. And sometimes we do need spiritual guidance. And that's the point of a lot of divination tools. It's not for fortune telling. But point is, is when you're learning the functions of the universe and at least exploring the ideas without getting into the to the belief sector, and it's just speculating, formulating, trying to learn new things and, and open the mind, it's okay at times to not know the truth or it's, mm-hmm. it's okay to not have the answer 
and to get out of the fear of, well, oh my God, well, I don't know. I have to pick something. Might as well be a Christian. Might as well, yeah, manifestation. I could just manifest anything I want. It's mm-hmm. like, well, how many teachers have you gone to? How much practice have you done? And, are, and have you done the inner work to know why you're even doing these things? Are you picking that religion or are you picking uh, a manifestation tool because you're trying to bypass some trauma? And mm-hmm. if so, you're not getting rid of the trauma and you're also starting to live a little more selfish. It's like, are these things serving you? But once again, I, I, uh, I digress back to before you get to those types of beliefs, trying to get a grasp on how reality itself works and seeing the patterns in it and seeing the nature of it will allow you then to really solidify your approach to the next thing you choose, which is the model of, uh, of, of paradigms you, you tend to, you know, push out and, and, and act out. Yeah, absolutely. Cause that's, that's the thing. If we have this, if we have this aspect of all ourselves that we are, you know, absolutely, a part of this oneness with everything and this eternal source of where it comes from and everything, whatever it may be, then that shows that there is a part of us that has access to all the knowledge and are are able to see the broader aspects of life. You know, uh, whether, you know, that we think of it almost as that whole thing of the Akasha and all of the possibilities are within this, this, um, Akashas, so to say. So therefore, in that way, all those possibilities are already existent. There goes that that kind of expresses the whole um, there's already a story that's portrayed out. Right. An overall story. We may not be able to see that broader spectrum of all the different possibilities, how it folds into this overall story. But then I think the free will comes into the fact that we have the choice to jump on and latch on to these possibilities. But once again, these possibilities and the probability of things are all accessible. So therefore, but it's all port part of the greater already written out story. So therefore, it's like when you want to say free will or no free will, or is everything just kind of like constructed already? It's both. And that's how I think. I think it is both. You know, it's already it's already mapped out on a broader scale that's bigger than what we can really imagine in that way. But the free will comes into the choices of what we make as far as um, kind of what what we reach out and grab from the uh, from the ether of this of of possibility and all the different ways something can turn out. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up, Gio, about the uh, you know free will factor and having mm-hmm. it split. And to me, it's like, well. You know, we're learning real quick not to jump to beliefs, but to consider that is a vital thing because if you haven't experienced the considering of that and balancing this new way of seeing life out of considering both of, hey, it's laid out, there's this map for me, I have this sole mission, uh, whatever you, if you want to intuitively discover it uh, just by experiencing life or if you want to use some astrology or if you want to use whatever your conduit is, whatever your whatever the, is the thing that triggers you to jump on the path for you then to feel like you are on the path and experiencing that soul mission, whatever gets you there. It's like, well, let's consider the fact, yes, that that great life that or, or specific life that you might have to, to experience at some point through existence, 
especially if you entertain the idea of reincarnation, that if you do not get something done in this life, well, it's not the worst thing. You just come back and you're going to have to redo it again up until, you know, you get it right. And then you don't have to follow that lesson anymore. And to me, I entertain that because there's this logic to it. It's, it's something that makes, you know, I'm not saying for anybody to believe that, but to entertain it. And for me, I'm in a way, I allow that to settle within myself because it gives me the ability to function and, and, uh, you know, and act out a better life for myself. And by, by realizing I was like, wow, you know, that really, my inner tuning fork really says, man, that makes sense. I'm, I'm with that. And, but at the same time, allowing myself to always, uh, there's always the possibility of that changing. I'm not set on that, but I live by it right now and I entertain it because it's something that could be useful and it is just serving me. And so my point is, is if, if it's if it's something that'll serve you right now, but it's something you can't fully believe because you don't have enough evidence, try it out anyway. What's the rush? Mm-hmm. It might work. And so the free will and, and and having the mission, the soul mission and all that, whether you're one or the other, whether you're both, it's great concepts to practice. And to me, the logic really is there of, hey, look, you're not controlled by God and you're not controlled by the... Um, you know, the stars, you, 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 like you might have a soul mission, but you do have the free will to go, oh, fuck it. I don't want to do it. And then there's also the inner journey of self-discovery and saying, hey man, if I think if I look within deeper and I go into scripture and I go into certain things, it might lead me to a bigger purpose. So the universe might have this purpose laid out or you could try and make your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's like that unknowingness is kind of when we explore that in a way, it kind of, um, comes into this purpose of of also with to co-create our higher intentions as well um and being able to see our true identity it's like it's like as if you're wearing um it's like you're wearing like if if you're wearing glasses and that change the colors of everything you see and the sunglasses are the those layers and your eyes are the soul's awareness now you're imagining that you're wearing those lenses on all your senses. So therefore, when you transcend the layers, it's the, uh, the veil of unknowingness. Um, this gives you this, this kind of purpose of seeing in life, understanding the layers and the unknowingness helps us understand how to kind of transcend them. You can see the layers like computer programs uh, where you have the operating system and the software. The first layer of your computer is the operating system, what, you know, Windows, Mac, you know, iOS, whatever it may be. And that kind of helps facilitate the interaction between you, the user and the software. So if you want to like read a document on your computer, then the operating system then uh, helps you to see the words and gives you the ability to kind of interact with them and provides this environment in which all the software live. Then the second layer being the software, there's this endless amount of you know application software as well there's word processors for texting and editing and video and music players internet browsers whatever it may be and each software is unique has its purpose then they need the operating systems environment to be able to function and fulfill the purposes that's the Meyer matrix has those two layers as well the environmental layer um, which could also be called the platform and the mind layer so it's interesting that when you see it and you relate it to some of these things that we can pick apart that are more obvious to us. And then you see the simplicity behind it. And that's all you kind of need at first to really just jump into that next gear. 
Yeah, that's graduating from, you know, kindergarten, you know, first grade of, you know, breaking out of the fear consciousness and you're working towards that, right? Mm -hmm. So it's whatever you could really use as a tool. And it that's what I, like, Geo just used the computer. And a lot of people say, well, see, AI, like computer, mm -hmm. you know, e even the AI concept. And if you're using, say, the human consciousness and the body as a machine, the thing is, is people are looking too literal into even the AI taking over mm -hmm. when yet everything that's going on in this world is making us the AI. Yeah, it's making exactly. us dependent on the machines. Also, the way we're thinking, what it's doing is is cutting us off from our emotional and spiritual nature, which is making us somewhat like robots. We all, you know, especially with culture. I, in a way, I can't stand culture. We need culture to an extent, but because that brings us together. I, I just don't like that word, especially with cult is in it. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is we're becoming the AI. And that's the allegory of that. Like, that's the play on words that people think it's the actual phones and the computers. And like, it's like, look, a computer cannot think for itself. And I don't care. You can argue me all day. The AI is going to be us. It's yeah. the people that are going to get cut off from their own emotions. They're going to be pure left brain beings. They're not going to have any empathy or emotion uh, that, that is genuine, authentic to themselves and their soul. They'll be cut off from their soul. And that's the attack of the AI. That's mm. the Terminator. That's yeah. the allegory in that sect. So... Yeah, I, I, it's it's whatever you can grab onto that's going to allow and unlock your consciousness to then start seeing things a little deeper or at least in a, in a different way so you can break out of the, 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 the traditional paradigms or the former thought patterns that you've had from your the influence of your family, friends, uh, you know, culture, etc. Yeah, exactly. Because we are we actually are part of that operating system. But like you're saying, as if we are we are part of the AI would be that, like you're saying, we're uh, becoming dependent on these certain systems uh, and technologies as well and stuff. And those would be the softwares of this operating system, which we call reality. You know, this is how everything manifests into what it is and stuff. And, and these creations, it's like coming dependent on them. We start losing the understanding of the function that we we can we can we can be able to uh, know these things or do these things, you know, without necessarily that type of recreation of technology, which we already have within ourselves. We are the AI in that type of way. Um, and yes, of course, it could go down that path of the further way of, you know, the constant production of the system, how, you know, maybe we are the AI and stuff in a sort of sense and we can create an AI as well and stuff. And and that creates another one as well. Sure. That's that's a great possibility um, and and shifts that whole, you know, transhumanism talk up. But yeah, I mean, regardless, though, there's there's this uh, connection back to this inner knowing um, and this ability to speculate in order to grab these types of answers. And when I say answers, I don't mean necessarily getting to some sort of definitive, but uh, more so of, of an answer on, on a foundation of what to build off of. Right. And, and we can all meet in the middle somewhere and this is a great, it's a great place to start. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, a lot of people would, would not believe how simple it really does get, but it's like, you have to break certain barriers in the mind. And so when you, when you do that, it, it, honestly, at times it feels like a death because you feel like you were lied to, or you feel like you're like, wow, that was silly. I couldn't, I can't believe I said that, or I, I believed that. And so that's what happened with me with a lot of learning symbolism and all that and seeing, seeing it repeat in ancient knowledge and scripture and all that. I'm like using my logic there and going, wait a minute, 
these things are repeating over, 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 over. Oh, it's like, it's like, it doesn't end. And it's like, what does this mean? And maybe not everything's, his, you know, in a historical fact. And so just like we're talking about the computer an uh, analogy here, it's like, well, your body has, uh, you know, plenty of analogies that are spoken through, through the scriptures and it's coded to protect the knowledge as well. So when you learn to read code, matrix code, seeing the symbolism, seeing the algorithms and all of that, like seeing how, how the, the universe is sending you signs every day. And that's where I really get the term algorithm from. So as if we're the computer, we're the so-called AI, the consciousness AI. And if we cut off the right side of the brain, we do become AI, and then so we'll be functioning off of an algorithm that's predetermined from the group mind, from the culture, from the system, from what it wants us to think. It's kind of like um, how people get shadow banned on YouTube, right? And how people get uh, taken off the internet and stuff like that with the way the holographic universe works is so because it's a mirror and you become so attached to culture and that egregore and you start to think like the group, that algorithm of the culture is only the only thing that's available to you you won't mm. even be able to access certain knowledge because you're not open in, enough to it to then even attract the knowledge and uh and understand or understand the knowledge and to the to the extent of like i'm and i'm really serious like i think in my mind i truly have accepted the fact that really because it's like literally a mirror to our consciousness that when you really are when you have an energetic cord uh to the to the culture, to the group and collective mind. And if they're going down a certain path, if they're on the ship of fools going down the river of insanity and you t happen to just be rolling along with it, well, that hologram they're experiencing, that version of the hologram and its, and its algorithms, its search bar are the only things you could truly access until you have separated and cut the cord. So it's mm. important to understand that, that we create our own reality. But when we're involving ourselves within a another group of people's hologram projections mm. we're now sharing their projections yeah that's kind of almost like an artificial type consciousness that you're jumping into and you're staying to that and kind of only working through that and there's so much more outside of it there's so yeah. much that has created that so it's like you then that means you're really you know you really start end up going into just you know especially if you become very uh, absorbed with these types of, um, you know, culminations of this way of, of being or thinking and cults or whatever it may be like, yeah, like you're really not only you missing the grand aspect, but now you're missing just the basic aspect too, because you allow yourself to see this type of way of being or thinking and believing and stuff as, as this, uh, this thing that you're so identify you're, you're identifying with so much. And now, you've really set yourself separate from, from whatever that oneness, that, that oneness is. Yeah. Yeah. And it, in a holographic universe, by the way, like time and space actually at that point becomes, uh, can no longer be viewed as, as fundamental. It changes the whole concept because concepts such as say, um, location break down in a universe in which nothing is truly separate from anything else, right? Time and three dimensional space, like the images of the uh, of like fish on TV monitors uh, would also have to be viewed as projections of this deeper order. And at its deeper level, reality is sort of a is at this point a super hologram where everything is past, present, and future. It all exists at one time. So when we interrelate it to that, we interconnect all of those things. 
then, and we see it as nothing but projections all connected with the whole. Now think of yourself involved in other people's holographic projections. It's like at that point also, are you getting, are you able to, um, create your own reality or or do you, do you even have the ability meaning because there's so much energy involved in creating say a set amount of laws and rules to, to the projections we have because consciousness at this point we've seen is powerful enough to create reality. We know this. And so within the group mind, if that overrides your own individuality, like you said, Gio, it is the, you are the AI of that holographic and projected reality of the whole collective. And it's like, ask yourself, is where the collective going? Is it, is this really where I want to go? Or do I want to go begin to make my own holographic version of this place? And if you knew you had the power to do that, you know, if you sifted through all of the ancient scripture and you learned to decode it and you realize that the kingdom of heaven is within and all that really means is that the life that you're experiencing without is the one that you're experiencing within. And, and so, but if you're sharing those that energy and you're, and you're, you're creating that, uh, you're co-creating that reality with other people that aren't on your path. You know, have you checked yourself at the door? Have you really fully investigated your own beliefs and where you're at? And if not, it's the first thing to do. It's to wipe the hard drive, screw the algorithms, wipe the hard drive, you know, disconnect from that network and then begin again, but by seeking within as well. So, and you see how, like, once you understand the, the concept of holographic universe, the, the ability to then project reality out and how nature and the universe talks back to you through this symbolic language is giving you the clues on where you're at in your creation process could then work as this feedback mechanism to then start creating a new one. And then, and then you could have a new search bar and a brand new algorithm to work on to where now it starts like in your Instagram page. It's like, as soon as you like a few different new things and you actually dis and you, and you unfollow all of a sudden your, your feed looks a lot different. You started, you start, it's like you're attracting brand new photos and everything that you decided that this is what I want in my reality. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And I, I like, I like that, you know, we say about looking at certain, um, uh, teachings and trying to find the allegors, allegorical senses behind it. And I know we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, a lot of, we've, we've done a lot of talking about biblical allegories as well as mythological ones as well. Um, and I know we did a brief episode on that a while back, but, uh, one thing that I think is a great, uh, a great place to start, um, say in something like that is the, um, in order to understand uh, really this coming into consciousness and the coming into reality and stuff, one of the great places to look at, I feel like, is the creation story throughout all um, throughout all different types of teachings, religions, and ancient cultures and stuff as well, and the Bible, um, and you know the whole Adam and Eve story, and then seeing that and breaking down that type of symbolism that uh, is there, and then seeing how that symbolism then progresses through life as much as you can connect it back to current day. Um, and, and I, and I like that. And if you're, if you're down, we can, we can go into that. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I actually have a really cool, uh, biblical allegory to show someone, mm-hmm. uh, well to show many, but meaning someone who's really interested in religion. I think a lot of people out there 
don't want to hear this stuff because once they hear religion and God, but someone out there who's who's big in scripture mm-hmm. that thinks it's literal, mm-hmm. I want I like to challenge those types of people. Someone out there that's that's like suspend your belief, test yourself. That's it. it goes like, back to wiping the, wiping the slate clean, like you said. Like I mean, and wiping the slate clean doesn't have to be like a total disavowment of of you know your beliefs and your upbringing stuff like that it's just putting it to the side to kind of gain a new understanding and a new observation of it and then you can see if they link up with the past things and you could see what stays and what goes so it's not like this complete step away so if you have like of course maybe for some people in the beginning it may be harder they have this this fear guilt in them about kind of setting their beliefs to the side and stuff but maybe if they can even see it in that way that you don't have to, even according to your religion or whatever it may be, you don't have to feel guilty about setting it aside. You're not completely destroying it or going against it. You're just suspending it, like you said, in order to see this other observation and see if it runs parallel with what you believe and seeing what stays, what logically makes sense and going into that right hemisphere of the brain, you know, in conjunction with the um, in conjunction with the logical part of the mind and having this rationality to it. Yeah, yeah, there is a level of rationality. And I do think a lot of religious approaches nowadays, and I think it's by habit, is they think they're using logic. But it's like, hey, do snakes talk? Back to those simple things. It's like, oh, well, God can make anything. Okay. I mean, at that point, you can make that such a cop-out. Like, I think okay, they're defending what? their laziness, too. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I really I agree. I think I'm they're mad. really I get defending it. that. <laughs> I can't imagine having something set in place in so long and you done all this work to kind of establish this understanding of this thing. And then, and then all of a sudden, like, then you have this questioning coming in about like, oh, well, doesn't this relate to this? It may absolutely make sense to you, maybe being like a religious teacher or something like that. But then all of a sudden being like, man, I don't want to have to like reconstruct and think more about it. Like, oh, yeah, I'm set. You know, I get what it means for me. I don't want to have to, but it's like, do you really? And that comes into where I see that it's almost like the laziness. Yeah. Whether it's subconscious or not. Well, and then, but so, and what, by giving yourself a good reason, it would, it's easy to then, you know, reframe it because if it's like, well, what if you're getting the life you are because of the set beliefs that you have and the set outlooks and perspectives, paradigms that you're operating off of, are you happy with your life? And hey, if you are, Mm That's fine. Uh, you know, some people don't really need to seek. They don't want to seek. They, they're at a certain level of mind and consciousness and they're happy with it. And I'm not, you know, and those people are okay. There's no judgment to it. But if you are interested in religious scripture and you're going to, and you are a seeker at heart and you're, and you have the uh, cojones to entertain these parables and see them as deeper. And if I told you that these certain scriptures and stuff are, are unlocking things of, of healing the body, healing the mind, Mm -hmm. manifesting the kingdom of heaven within you and without, Mm -hmm. you know, and having a better life and having more health and all that, everything that the churches tell you, but they just have you sit in a pew, say a few prayers, hands up to God, Jesus and all that. And then you go about your week and it's just nothing ever changes. And you're fed up with that. And it's not that you're fed up with say Jesus or the religion itself, but the fact of lacking results. Mm -hmm. Well, then entertain these thoughts, entertain these these biblical algorithms, 
And um, first we'll start with yours, but I have a specific one, which mm -hmm. I adore. It's one of my favorite ones. I made sure I grabbed this for today. Mm -hmm. um, but with the Adam and Eve one, I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that, that's a story in itself. I know that's parallel to the story of Kundalini energy. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it gets us that once you come into this understanding of that whole thing, you also get to see how you have this ability to um, interact with this innate guidance rather than trying to be guided by the manifestations of the world, you know, who kind of have their set it and forget it type presence as well. Um, but yeah, so uh, a, a, like you were saying in parallel with Kundalini, so all these religions and ancient teachings have serpent, uh, serpent symbolism and they're all parallel to one another, teaching us uh, uh, this, you know, a truer meaning. You know, we have relig religion, uh, which in Latin is uh, relegati. I'm going to say that wrong, but whatever. It means union. Yoga, Sanskrit, it's yug. It's also union. Um, it's all about this uh, union with divinity is a key expression as well. Um, and, you know, I know we've probably heard this many times about, you know, God or the creator in the Bible being referred to Elohim, which is plural for God or goddesses. And it gives us a depiction of God as uh, either in this androgynous type being um, or androgynous energy, I guess you could say as well. Um, and sometimes also it gets referred to as actual angels or, you know, extraterrestrial type beings or descending beings and stuff like that. And I think that that's been the main grasp of this whole thing. And we're not looking at it as a, like from an alchemical standpoint. Um, and a lot of people are going very latched on to the whole thing of being like, oh, there's these extraterrestrial type beings that are actually oversaw and made the creation of reality and creation of man and stuff, which that can have some truth to it in a way. Um, but I think we're, that's where we're missing the point of this inner occurrence that happens within our temple, our body, um, that is the real thing to really understand. Um, so you had Jehovah Elohim was the angel apparently to oversee creation, which would also be Yahweh and Yod um, is the male, the phallus, the Adam, the Atum, the Adam, um, and then Heva, which is the other part of it, is the female, the mother, the uterus, or Eve. Um, and then, you know, it's said that man is placed in the Garden of Eden in the east. Eden becomes more symbolically as this place of innocence or perfection and harmony. Um, and man, while in this garden, inherits altruism, right action, uh, chastity, humility, love, happiness for others, and temperance, which is the seven virtues of the soul. Um, which we can also see that parallel relate to the seven chakras, especially if we're talking about Kundalini. Um, there's also the seven dimensions of, uh, which is also in Kabbalah, uh, which explains, you know, Yasad being the earth or the fourth dimension. There's a separation that happens where the female aspect from the androgynous part of man becomes a reflection of knowing self and regaining unity. Um, so it's together at first harmony, but in order to come into like this creation reality as well into what we know as being physical reality, it's like there's this necessary splitting that needs to happen. How that gets furthered on in life, you can go throughout the whole stories of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And the tree of life is more so that universal truth and meaning. It's the understanding it's in Mo, the Moses's stories and uh, the Buddhism, the Aztec culture, the Nords, Judaism and Hindu. Um, but 
the thing we see that comes into it when we're understanding the science of the tree of life and how it even maps the human soul and the macrocosm as well in the universe. So I think that eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, um, I think it shows us the fact that like there is a temptation factor there. There is a way of overindulging in it and lusting. And what comes to this thing of then you start to, well, like I was saying before, you create this desire because you have learned of a certain physical fourth dimensional realm of pleasure, right? And now to constantly obtain that pleasure, you need to justify it. You need to justify what you do in order to obtain that pleasure. And it may seem like good. You may think that you're doing good in your eyes because it's through your perspective. And this is how maybe we get a lot of the different types of ways of thinking the greater good uh, of how we do things in nowadays. But there is that overdoing of it, I think. And I think that shows and is represented when we're talking about the Adam and Eve story of the female and the male aspects, but not so much in the gender type related. It's this energetic way, which we've explained before. It's the initiation male energy. This, uh, It's the seed. And then you have the receptive type female energy, like the womb, which kind of creates it. And together there is this uh, ultimate culmination together, which creates that Holy Trinity. It's the Holy Spirit as well. Um, and I think we've seen that now when we realize when looking at the spine, there's so many things that now we're going to we're going to make the parallels with with this type of masculine and feminine energy uh, that's meant to raise up through the spine. And it does occur into the body and come into play with parts of the brain and the pineal gland and all that is this true essence of what we really are that we've separated from and how we've made the flow go in, in the opposite direction as well. Um, I'll, I'll let you get some more on explaining in that too. Yeah, I mean, there's, and there's so many parallels and things built into these stories and it's a matter of seeing it in the right fashion and it is this deep encoded story that is talking about this deeper truth and and what you were talking about with the, the spine and all that. And, and, and numbers repeat, by the way. So numbers are a big giveaway. That's why the Kabbalah, Gematria, all of that stuff plays such an important role because when you see certain numbers or you see certain things like uh, like words like fire, seed, ocean, all of them are mystically encoded with certain things. And so when we're hearing numbers and you hear them repeat, you start realizing there's this meaning for them and they start to play this a similar role throughout all of the stories. So when you hear seven a lot in the... Uh, you know, in these stories in the Bible, and even with Adam and Eve, you're talking about the the seven chakras climbing the the Jacob's ladder or the 33 vertebrae of the spine, and all of this you could also consider the uh, Revelations 5:1, where uh, it says, "And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals." So that's two separate stories, but at the same time you see number seven and you're like, oh, that's probably has something to do with the chakras or maybe the seven planets because we've also proven with astrotheology that a lot of this stuff relates back. Like if it's in the body, it's in the sky and the story in the constellations and all the archetypes there reflects back into the body as well. And then so with the story of Kundalini, Adam and Eve, uh, even in the other stories in the book of Revelation, you'll see this 
similar lesson, probably with different nuances and different um, uh, like uh, um, approaches, or in a way maybe has different uh, applications. I think was the word I was using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what that shows us is that um, most likely that all living things have some sort of uh, seven have some sort of chakra system as well of these energetic points um, of which we. Uh, activate and stuff and get to work in unison to be in harmony with with all nature i think there is that there's obviously probably disruption of it as well as we've seen or else maybe we wouldn't even be having these teachings if there wasn't any disruption of it um i think that's that's the whole point of it so you so then going back to that whole male and female polarity um those aspects reside in each male and female and the masculine and feminine energetic channels that dwell within the body um, they are rising or they're up the spinal column or the staff um, or the column, which we've seen in Freemasonry or we've seen in the um, the staff that Hermes uh, holds as well with the two serpents and the wings. Um, uh, and it's on the it's on uh, uh, on the sacral or the foundational stone or the yasat, which, like I said, it was the fourth dimension, which would be the earth or the physical realm as well. Um, so when you have these two serpents rising up the spinal com- column, it represents the male and female aspects and desires. Um, and the female is act when the female is activated, it can be sexual desires or procreation. And I don't necessarily mean sexual as that it has to be something sexual. It's the more of the act of it, that whole procreation or creation as well. Um, and I, th- yeah, I think act uh, like overactivation without any sort of um, guidance, I guess you could say, would be almost like in the biblical stories of that there was procreation without guidance. So it's without being mindful of it um, and bearing the forbidding fruit, or you could say the orgasm or lust, the pleasure, but the gluttony and the overindulge- overindulgence of the forbidden fruit. That was kind of like the warning almost. Um, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be one act. You know, it's not just having sex or having an orgasm. It's not, a, it's not just about that. It's also how not we taking it literal. Exactly. We're not taking a little, we're going into the fact of how we treat our desires and how we treat. And, and, and that's the thing. Desires can be seen as um, uh, what's the, what's the quote that I had here? Uh, desire can be seen that we're like coming into the knowing that it leads to suffering, uh, in order to justify pleasures, like I said. Um, so that's where we have to, we kind of are learning of the initiating energy of God and the receptive nature of God. And when combined was the creative or sexual fire or the Holy spirit. Like I said before, the Trinity, it's the three primary forces, uh, the sexual purities, of fire, water, and light. A light can be represented with Mercury as light is the messenger. Uh, so is Mercury and in, in the even the mythological teachers, the communicator as well, being very close to the sun, the soul, the source. Um, and then, you know, you have water, which is represented by the baptism. That's also a purity, a cleansing um, in that primary force. And then the fire is the act or the occurrence being initiated so we can see how now the elements come involved and the elements what do we know them to be related to exactly the astrology and therefore you can learn this type of 
you can learn about the creative forces even through the astrology. And I think at a more personal, deeper and physical level as well, you know, um, you know, because in the, in the, those ancient teachings and, and in the Bible, it's like this whole sex or procreation uh, needed to occur under guidance in the temple uh, by Gabriel, right? The angel Gabriel, um, who Gabriel is also um, known to be as a region of the moon. It's where we also get the honeymoon symbolism. You know, think about even the honey parts. Like, okay, well, what's the honey part? Um, it's the, we can also see that as that ref. What's that, what's that part in the Bible when it talks about with John the Baptist and the uh, milk and honey um, and it will flow and everything. And that has a direct relation to melatonin, serotonin with the pineal gland. Right. You yep. know, that secretion that occurs as well. Um, this could be that secretion as well in this unification of the energies or actually the physical act of sex. And that would be more so tantric. That's where because Gabriel instructed uh, on the sexual mysteries. So it was said. Um, and I think that's the kind of knowing that we come into this honeymoon. It can be also that secretion of the life force of the activation energy and also not even just the activation energy for creation, but also for the restoring of uh, and sustaining the creative energy and the physical vitality and all the senses of the individual as well. Uh, and expelling the energy of the soul is in, in waste is the sleeping or the dumbing back down of consciousness and the separation from God. Um, so that's that's how we could come into this knowing. And then when you further explore Kundalini, Kundalini um, and the actual inner workings of it, then you can see where it's potentially making these connections and parallels. This way, you're not just kind of going off blind faith. I think that's that's a problem, too. You know, just kind of, yeah, sounds good. So mm, force myself to believe in it. Yeah, really I mean, working. it's it's forcing yourself to think you understand it. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's a big problem with people, right? Is like, you ever like have someone tell you a story and then you kind of like, and I'm guilty of this. It's like, um, you ever hear this, 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 and this? And you're just like, yeah. And you you never heard exactly what they said or, they, oh, did you understand what I said here? It's like, and then you're like kind of half listening. You're like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, but you don't. And I think a lot of people do that with teachings. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, did you know? I've done this with people, right? So like, I'm sitting there like, hey, did you ever hear that part of the parable, you know, where, um, you know, I, I, I not, I don't want to uh, spoil the one I'm about to read, but, you know, you ever hear that one parable that, you know, did you know it meant this? Oh yeah, yeah. I've heard that somewhere before. And I'm sitting there going, are you sure? You've heard that before? Really? Wow. Mm -hmm. I must be behind that. I'm just figuring all this stuff out. You must be a scholar. Wow. <laughs> you're a, you're that you're that awake? I can't believe it. But a lot of the times when I'm having interactions with certain people and they I know me and I'm like there's no way you know this. And I think I'm using that as an example of I think a lot of people either they don't care enough, it's back to your lazy factor, Gio, or mm -hmm. um or that they're they, they're um, intimidated or they don't, you know, they don't, they're intimidated by the fear of not knowing or being judged for not knowing, or maybe, maybe society has implanted the seed of like, you're stupid if you don't know what I'm saying. It's going it's through like, an egoic understanding, you know, you're not getting yeah. into the true understanding of, you know, the awareness knowing. Yeah. Cause I've, I've sensed uh, an uncomfortability with certain people where like, you know, I'll get to a certain point and of like explaining something deep and they're like, yo, I get what you're saying, but like, I don't know, like, not that I don't care, but like, I don't, I, I like, I don't want to know that. Like, that's just too deep for me. And that's another lazy factor, but I just, I also X in fear. 
You know, uh, dude, I already have enough on my mind. You're about to tell me my religion and the way they taught me how to read my scripture and stuff. Is it, you know what, man? That's it. I don't got enough time. So it's mm. like they don't want to understand. And because their ego gave them five reasons off the top. So they'll, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, no, I get it. Yeah, sure. And then you know they didn't. You know, exactly. and I've realized that a lot of people do that, right? And that's why over time, I I don't like that. So then now I've learned to intentively listen. And that's where I, what I was saying last week, it's like, that's what we got to learn how to do. And I developed that from being aware that I do it and also being aware that others do it. And out of the frustration, I'm like, hey, we really need to listen to each other and sometimes learn something new, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and that's the whole thing. Obviously, you could go further into what current Kundalini is and refers to how it refers to serpent uh, pattern and the spiral uh, metaphorically, how it, you know, it stands for the power of the higher self or like the power of consciousness. Um, And obviously the, you know, kind of maybe what would be there's no definitive equivalent in English, but um, it can also be that Christian concept of the Holy Spirit. So as the power of consciousness kundalini is a psycho spiritual energy that has enormous power both creative and destructive um and like we said we're considering the female and the invisible energy uh is often symbolically represented as a serpent or a goddess or an ocean a spiral um and i think a lot of times the depiction of it has gone to be like oh just the more of the feminine aspect or oh more just more of the male aspect but i believe it's it's the dual it's both of them as well um, and it's built also within our DNA. Um, so that's what a lot of this Kundalini story, I mean, this, uh, you know, a lot of the serpent symbology, um, especially in the Bible of what that can be alluding to when it comes to creation as well. Um, and it's to use more conventional language, you know? Yeah. I'm always intrigued to, to, to hear no- other perspectives and maybe, Hey, it's my, maybe it's my Gemini nature. Um, but I, I mean, in the age of information, I, mm-hmm. Hey, like, you know, if you can explore a different angle of something and it could potentially change your life or change your whole, whole mind on something, which then can better it. Uh, why not take the chance? What What's there to lose at this point? Like, look at the world, look at the, you know, how many times do we have to be lied to, to say, Hey, we might've been lied about a lot of other things. Maybe we should explore. And of course, religion could be one of them, especially with all the corruption and all the, all, all, you know, the fact that though they don't get taxed and they, you know, they have all these reasons to keep you going there. And a lot of it does have to do with maybe their pockets and not God's pocket, by the way, God doesn't need money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and funny, but I mentioned that I'll walk right into this little mini parable of tithing. Well, tithing technically is, you know, that whole concept of we use only 10% of our brain and the 90% is kind of like, you know, it's almost automatic, uh, subconscious mind, 95% of our mind, our brain power and all of that and tithing, right? The money we, people are giving to the church when yet what I've learned through decoding and, and, and listening out on different perspectives of what tithing means is that it's actually getting in the state of meditation to tithe away the 10% of your logical mind, the, the, the awareness of your everyday, I've got to go to work, got to drive, got to this, got to remember that, that, that active part of the mind, that 10%, that the, the tithing aspects actually relates to the mind, you know, and not your money. So imagine all this time you're going to church every Sunday and you find out that this parable in the Bible and by the way, there are things where Jesus said, hey, this is all written in parables, and we could find that. Um, yeah, it meant your mind. It meant f- a free act of meditation at your house, in your bedroom, 
in your fucking panties or your yeah. boxers it's true, uh, opposed though. to going down to to the supposed house of god when yet when we know the house of god is built in the it's it's the temple built with no hands hmm i wonder what that could be oh okay mm-hmm. uh, very, very simple and i, I mean, if you can't guess that i don't think i don't even mm-hmm. want to tell you but what's what's the only temple built with no hands and mm-hmm. it's not an architecture it's something very simple it's sitting on it's sitting on the holy grail on top of your you know above your neck and um so yeah, it's like, so imagine that. Imagine the feeling people would have if all the money, thinking that they were giving this money to the church and that they were they were being rewarded from God because they were supporting. And it's okay if you like to support these things. I'm just making a point, the fact that if there are these parables and there was a deeper spiritual allegory to these things and you were giving your money away for kind of no reason and let's say you were tight, let's say you were you were feeling the hurt and this church was taking your money and hey, maybe the church itself doesn't even know that it's teaching Something that could be a little more deceiving, and they, they, I'll just say it straight up, they could be wrong about their interpretation. Mm-hmm. So imagine the feelings and the emotions and the things that people would want to be like, yeah, no thanks, I'll just go back mm-hmm. to Sunday, throw in a 20 in the basket, call it a day, may peace, with you, uh, peace be with you and all that. Yeah, I think there's also a lot of people that would take... Uh, the whole tithing, maybe somewhat in that way, but still miss the point. Like some will be like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's not just about the money. It's about giving your time to God, whether it is going to church, whether it's sitting there praying, whether it's, you know, uh, making sure to, you know, to, to study and read scripture as well. But that's the thing though. You think a lot of them still get stuck. So you have that first grade that think like, oh, I just got to give money to church. Right. And then you have the second grade. that's like, oh, I just have to do these things to give my time to God. That's part of tithing as well. So it's not just the money, but even though second grade won't understand that 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 third grade level to get to would be when you're doing those things, giving your time to God. Are you just praying and asking God for things or are you actually trying to develop a connection uh, in that meditative type state of being able to communicate with the higher self and and the higher self that's connected with God um, in that way? And are you not just reading scripture, are you actually understanding it? Are you understanding it for in which the way that we're even saying in these allegorical senses to understand our own true divinity, our own true power as well uh, on, on top of it. So that's the thing where you obviously get those people too that come in and want to defend it, uh, defend it in that way. And once again, do that thing of being like, oh yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know it's not that. It's like, okay, so you do, you do this, 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 and this though. Yeah. Yeah. That's my tithing. You know, it's not just about the money and it's like, yeah, but is your tithing effective? Are you, are you even doing that part? It's not just about the act of doing it. It's about the true interpretation of it, the understanding, the tangibility of it, the rationality of it, the logical side of it as well, that you're uh, implementing within your life through it. You know, and then, like you said, it's this allegorical sense of even what happens within ourselves and the the using the brain and the thinking and using more so of that connection. Um, So therefore, it doesn't that's where you can see that it doesn't have to one doesn't have to cancel out the other. It works in unison. Yeah. And things could also have multiple meanings, you know, so and, and, and things can mean certain things for you in your life. And so that's why it's not like. You know, we have to be careful, I guess it's like, cause it's semantics. It's like, it's not wrong to say, go to the church, give the money. It's like, if it's serving you and hiring your spirit, there's no judgment. And you know, we don't judge anyway, but more so of if, if there's a spiritual truth about something that goes on in the body that could better your life. And this is proven scientifically, 
You know, and I could say that, hey, there's this allegory in the Bible and science has figured it out, but yet people, you know, if you're teaching the scriptures and it means something spiritually and scientifically in the body, why are you not teaching them that? Mm-hmm. Why are you telling them everything's historical at that point? Is it at the, is it at this point, is it like, do they know what they're doing or, or it's just that down the down the line, it was just passed on and passed on and everything kind of stayed where nothing evolved. And now we're coming to a point in the age of information where you could decode spiritual allegory and it could be something extremely useful and almost vital to your spiritual health and your actual health and bettering your life. And I mean, we all have families. We all have people we love. All we have all friends. Don't we want to better our lives? And what if things really truly are hidden within these scriptures? Are you willing to listen? Or is it that you want to aimlessly go throw in 20 bucks and that 20 bucks a week in the basket is a bet and a risk to say, hey, screw it. I'm, I, I don't feel like it. I have too much to, do, to worry about. I have my kids. I have, I have to go to work. I got to pay the bills. I, I have no time to learn this new thing. But it's like, well, you have the time to go down to that church on Sunday. You know, you have the time to turn on Netflix. It's like these deeper truths can be end up being extremely important. Would you want to miss the boat if someone said, hey, I think I figured out the true meaning of, say, scripture in the Bible, and it could save your life, it could save others' lives, and it also could bring bring you to your own heaven on earth. And and it sounds woo-woo once again, but if you, once you... This whole it's fucking like once life I, is woo-woo. <laughs> it, really, it, it really like, is. Like, I don't even have to go back into the whole ball, you know, ball of water, spinning around a ball fire, going, flying through a void 60,000 miles an hour mm-hmm. in the middle of nothing, and you got these giant rocks, whatever, and you're this soul that ended up in this bag of meat, you know, and like all of a sudden you're just, you know, it's, it's yes, life is woo-woo in itself. If you think anything, like no question's stupid. I love that one. No question's a stupid question mm-hmm. because, I mean, there are stupid questions, but, you know, my, like working so at Jersey Mike's like, yeah, they, the weather's nice out. There's weather out. Like, I, it's like, that's a stupid fucking so question. Like, I, I can see it's sunny out and, and I'm in here in this stupid ass uniform. Obviously, I think that it's probably be nice to be out in the weather right now. <laughs> yeah. It's like fucking unbelievable. But yeah, it, so everything, and I wanted to make a point about the serpent, that mm-hmm. everything can have a dual meaning. Like if you go to say Egyptian hieroglyphs and their ancient stories and you look up the serpent and the eagle, the serpent actually wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was multiple layers and meanings to it. And so even in, that's like, you got to be careful, like even within cultures and you hear, like, I feel like a lot of Americans, if they hear serpent, they immediately think of the yeah. apple, Adam and Eve. But, mm-hmm. and then if they see it in Egyptian mythology, they immediately probably project the fact that, oh, that's, well, it's evil in my religion and it must be evil in the Egyptians. And mm-hmm. yet, like you were just explaining, Geo, that the serpent is actually just the kundalini snake-like mm-hmm. energy that goes up the spine and the vertebrae. Yeah. The sexual and, energy. And, and I also think, because I have a lot that's actually really some interesting stuff when it comes to now the propagation of that truth and that understanding of the serpent where it comes from and how we even get the dragon from it as well and how we see that show up in reality in other ways and used as further symbolism um it's almost like that kundalini is this vital force that we're engaged with and that we that we have internalized within us and through certain certain uh certain ways that we even looking back on history and seeing how the symbolism was used too in many different ways we also see how this is this understanding this understanding more so i want to say of this truth of this type of life force 
um, how it's continuously trying to be harnessed and and used for whatever reasons it may be, you know, because now like the serpent can also be uh, is also in direct connection with the dragon as well. So you could think of those somewhat as one and the same most of the time. Um, and as like a spiritual symbol, like the dragon, um, it, it's uh, is arguably the most ancient and imposing uh, it's comes, you know, a lot from going from the far east, the symbolism and the meaning is all about the authority of the emperor uh, in, you know, in those eastern parts of the world um, and was also designated as a dreamer for the entire country. Those emperors, that's how they how they were. So uh, in this setting, many others, dragons rule the elements and can take whatever form they wish. So once again, it's taking into form, taking into creation, um, having this, uh, you know, in metaphysically like the dragon shape shifting abilities equate to like a shaman's mastery over the elements, power to transform into various animals and the ability to enter dream time. You know, it's also in the art of feng shui, you know, that's how the dragon represents fortune, authority, growth, luck, and development. Those are some key words, even when you can consider that even when looking at kundalini and creation for that growth development um and in europe these formidable beings symbolized the ability to rise over circumstances and see things clearly uh so um dragon uh it's said to be it's depicted as dragon a fabulous animal common to the conception of many races and people from old french dragon and directly from Latin Draco Draco Mem. Sorry, this is like way too small for me. Okay, there we go. Better. <laughs> um, uh, which is the nate uh, the nominative nominative Draco, huge meaning huge serpent or dragon, uh, from the Greek Dracon, genitive Draconotis, uh, which is serpent or giant sea fish, uh, and apparently from Drac, uh, which is strong aorist stem of darkestia uh to it which means to see clearly right um then also says from pi from dirk whatever it's a source of sanskrit uh meaning visible old irish akandari meaning i have seen uh gothic uh being cat uh characterized um and also being light or clear in more so of the old English and in old high German. Uh, so once again, we see how that relates to even that clarity of the activation of the pineal gland, the pineal gland being the third eye as well. So we can say that being able to see clearly as well. Um, and once again, we see how this is harnessed um, over many different uh, you know cultures and lifetimes. Uh, and this pro- uh, then it says, perhaps literal sense is the one with the deadly glance. The young are dragonets. Uh, feminine form dragoness is attested from 1630s. Obsolete Drake dragon is an older borrowing of the same word. And a later form in another sense is dragoon used in the Bible generally for creatures of great size and fierceness. It translates Hebrew tannin, uh, translates to Hebrew tannin, uh, Hebrew as tannin a great sea monster uh, and tan as desert mammal now believed to be the jackal. So, um, and you could even say, if you want that whole great sea monster thing, it can also relate to, um, you know, that whole thing of the sea goat 
and Capricorn. Um, and there was another thing that had to do with that. Um, uh, any thoughts while, while I'm looking at this? Um, well, yeah, I, you know, in, in my, in my gas skills, uh, I did find, um, some deeper meanings on just because we mentioned polarities and, and what things can mean. And so instead of completely going on a bias or, or a pre pre notion like uh, of, Oh, uh, my Bible, you know, study says this and all of that, or my religion says this to hear it in another form of symbolism, just like you were kind of doing. Um, so in the gas kills here, uh, it says serpent, a symbol of the inner forces of the relative existence, which appear, uh, which appear and again disappear, by which the growth of the soul is accomplished. These forces are dual and of the higher and lower natures. They act reciprocally, uh, although in, in opposition. The higher serpent is Atma Buddhic, the lower serpent is Kama Manasic. The first is, is of the wisdom nature, and the second is of the desire nature, and each is active through the mind. Now, I, I did save a section here because I found this to be, because it, it mentions the uh, the Bible too on how it is both um, polarities here. So it says, here the serpents are designated as of three colors, um, of three orders, sorry, of earth, air, and sky. And as these forces on the three planes or worlds exist, um, for the express purpose of soul development, the ego, the sacrificer, acclaims the wisdom and love of the supreme. Uh, in ancient mythology, the serpent is sometimes used as an emblem of the intelligence of God and at other times of the subtlety of the evil one, serpent worship. So the serpent has a good meaning given to it and a very bad one and has been uh, an emblem of wisdom, uh, par excellence, the, sim- uh, the symbol of sin. And with, uh, when it has a, a pair of wings, it becomes the seraph or the seraphin curled up in a circle and it has uh, stood for time without end. So... I would say with the seraphim and the curled serpent, that reminds me of the curled kundalini energy at the base of the spine as well. So here in the Bible, you could see it as the intelligence of God, and you could see it also as the the almighty sinner and and, and Satan in a way, right? The evil doer. So sim- symbols have multi-layered meanings. And so when you look at different cultures, you have to be careful about how you're interpreting anything. And this goes back to the universal algorithm thing. You know, you're going to attract what it is you're putting out about a lot of stuff or your RAS is going to pick up certain definitions and or pre, you're going to have these pre-notioned like, oh, I've heard the serpent is the bad thing in the Bible. And yet there could be very important information in these other cultures that are giving you these new this this new data on something within the body, something within the mind, something that's achieved through through sexual union or yoga. So it's like, let's get out of our indoctrination a little bit, like suspend our beliefs from our religions and learn to see symbols as just symbols. And we're going to have our personal, you know, experiences with these things and to open up ourselves, you know, clearing the search bar and going for the the new algorithms. Yeah. And I think it's interesting when you're looking at the, uh, maybe the ancient or even sometimes historical stories of these things, you could then with this understanding that we're saying, you then begin to see, what way are they trying to harness this truth and this understanding? Maybe some of these cultures or uh, empires or whatever it may be. Um, and yeah, you can go into the direct thing of being like, oh, these are blood. These are connected to bloodlines uh, now as well. Uh, stemming back from, you know, the beginning man and stuff, uh, whatever it may be. 
um, and that they're trying to create some sort of agenda. Sure, there's always some sort of physical agenda maybe being propagated um, in, in, in our physical realm as well. And sure, that could be very true. But I think you also get a better understanding of the essence behind this truth, say something like the serpent symbolism, because the ancient symbol, you know, we said dragon too, being in correlation with serpent, you know, having this, uh, this etymology of being known as, uh, as, as light or, uh, to see clearly or something in that way, you know, it can also symbolize the evil eye, uh, or the Malokia, which is famous all over the Mediterranean since ancient times, spanning much of what has once been the Phoenician Empire colonies and trade routes. So in Hebrew, dragon translates to Tanin, a great sea monster, monster which brings us back to the Merovingians, I can never say it, Merovingians, whose name is derived from uh, Meruve, the king of the Franks, which is obviously in that German type area and stuff. Um, and according to their legend, Maruve had two fathers, King Claudia, uh, Claudion and a strange beast of the sea. The Druidic title of Pendragon, which means high dragon or king of kings, was passed on to the uh, Merovingian, I can't say it, Merovingian kings in Merovin- 600. Merovingians? Merov- yeah, Merovin- yeah, Merovingian kings. See, I'm not even looking at her. I help you. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess I'm what? Definitely. Yeah. And guess when that was passed on to the Merovingian, Merovingian kings? Yeah, Merovingian kings. It was passed on in 666 AD. Very weird. I bet you could do some gematria with all that. Um, uh, and in Bloodline of the Holy Grail, Lawrence Gardner says, despite the carefully listed genealogies of his time, the heritage of Merovis was strangely obscured in the monastic annals. Although the rightful son of Clodion, uh, he was nonetheless said by the historian Priscus to have been sired by an arcane sea creature, the Bisteus Neptunus, the the Sicambrian Franks, from whose female line the Meruvian gins emerged just as the essence of uh, Qumran had once been known. It was Arcadian legacy that was responsible for the mysterious sea beast, the Bistea Neptunus, as symbolically defined in the Merovingian ancestry. The relevant sea lord was King Pallas, a god of old Arcadia. The immortal sea lord was said to be ever incarnate in a dynasty of ancient kings, whose symbol was a fish, as was the traditional symbol of Jesus. So this creature represents Neptune, the god of the sea in mythology, who was said to have founded Atlantis, which is the pagan version of the pre-flood civilization, which God judged in Genesis. And it describes the intermarriage of mankind with the sons of God. We can also see how that overall guess legend or mythology, if it's not really real, but the, the teaching of it there as well in running parallel with Genesis and the deluge and all that. And we're talking about this Kundalini energy and saying that it's an intermarriage of mankind with the sons of God. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that it's uh, the actual, maybe, you know, the whole Nephilim and the fallen angels and everything and stuff too. It also shows that expression of we're marrying our uh, physical uh, body type consciousness of being derived here on this earth with the understanding and the innate guidance 
of that knowledge of the divine of, of source as well. You know, and you get that whole Bible passage. It comes to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they were fair and they took them wise of, of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that. He is also, he also is flesh yet. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Um, there were giants in the earth in those days and so on. So, you know, that's how you can find this deeper uh, understanding and how it implies that the serpent seed uh, continues and not necessarily how, and this could be, it could be bloodline related, um, but it continues after the deluge from Noah's Caucasian descendants with the serpent being perceived in different ways, depending on the civilization, uh, as even Jesus also is said to have referred to the serpents as wise. So therefore, like, this depiction on the ser serpent as evil is something that carried so much weight, especially in the Western world and the newer translations and the newer teachings as well. And that's where you can see that history is um, history is created and written in, in, by the victor. Yeah, it's always interpreted by, you know, the, the, the interpretations come from uh, mostly the patterns of culture and just word of mouth a lot of the times or what those victors had decided they should mean. But you have to understand, and I think we all know now how government could, and, and all of and politics and all this stuff and within religions can work, right? Like agendas basically compromise a lot of the truths. And uh, it's funny, I've even heard like, hey, don't buy any Bibles but the King James one because mm. when they're made more simple, they take the the, the metaphysical and mystical meanings out of this, and they are coded stories, right? So, and, and to me, it's like, look, if you have been religious all your life, why not take a year, half a year, three months to suspend that and know that you have all faith in God? And I, I'm pretty sure in the Bible, God does say, hey, like, keep seeking, right? And so, if, if you're doing this wholeheartedly and innocently and saying, hey, you know what, let me, let me check out these parables and let me just suspend it as a historical book. And let me look at the parallels within, you know, uh, say the story of Krishna and the story of Jesus and how the same, they have the same qualities and same things. There's an algorithm here. There's something that's repeating over and over again in all of these stories. So there has to mean, this, this means something there. There's, there's a truth here. And when you have people saying, hey, look, look over here, I might, I might've figured it out. And then, they show you all these patterns about the sky and the body and all of that stuff. And you start seeing it in these mythologies and you realize then, oh my God, wait, there's a, there's a skill here on how to read mythology and how to read scripture of what's the deep encoded meaning in this story. And also to remember that it's never really just straightforward either. Meaning that say the story of the serpent has many, many layers and many, many meanings in different things. Matter, imagine if I just told you the color black was only to put on clothes. Mm -hmm. color black can't go on anything else there's only one meaning to black and it's only for my sweatshirts that i wear every day that's it okay. but you can't put it on your speakers you get you, black does not exist other than clothes and it makes no sense doesn't it so why then if i were to define something say like a serpent to you that it has to mean one thing mm -hmm. when yet there's deeper allegorical meanings to just the word serpent and how many ways you could use it there's going to be different applications mm -hmm. so it ends up being where yeah i get it like you'd be lazy because it's like oh god well what does all that matter well, that's the claim here, right? The deeper truths and allegorical uh, stories, uh, what, what they're doing is explaining something so deep and, and crucial to your spiritual health if you have any spirituality left, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, the Whether desires you got, to come to your true awareness. 
Yeah. Not necessarily the materialistic desires that we often have. Yeah, like, well, so in the allegorical sense of, say, where you were just reading or in the Bible, and it's like, okay, well, what does it mean? What's the application about it, right? What's the application for? Well, okay, if you don't want to go down Scripture and you want to cut right to the point, and let's say you trust the guy or trust your source of what you're learning is, well, look, in the Scripture, Kundalini and the serpent just means the, the dragon lines within yourself. And by the way, dragon lines are also the ley lines on mm-hmm. the earth and the earth has seven chakras and you have seven chakras and you have dragon lines or and nadis right um and stuff like that right and so within all of that you have all these parallels and a guy goes oh well all it is is just raising the sexual energy to the pineal gland to activate it to then become enlightened and open the right part of the brain and then after that your third eye opens and then you'll be able to see things deeper on a deeper level mm-hmm. like yeah. so imagine if i just told you that imagine i was just like yeah that's it you don't even got to go to the Bible. It's just activating the kundalini within yourself. Mm-hmm. If people want that simplified thing, it is. But the, the fun of it and, and the beauty of it is, one, you learn to use that right brain more. Mm-hmm. You strengthen that ability to see through mysticism and uncover hidden truths. And you'll start, be able, you're, you'll start being able to see it and do that in, in everyday life of, the, mm-hmm. of your own allegories. You'll start seeing the deeper language of the universe. That's why reading the Bible and mastering it in the, in the parable an allegorical sense, it's a skill you're going to learn to then strengthen a part of your mind to then grow and evolve as consciousness and learn to see things on a deeper level. If you go to these other Bibles and you take the mysticism out and you simplify for things, I mean, you're just, you're cutting the corners and people get no spiritual growth from that. You're, you're taking out the mystery. You're taking out the, uh, the work. And, and why do you think, by the way, why do you think they have initiations? You know, mm. in these secret societies where we think they're all bad, it's like, well, what if they're protecting knowledge yeah. from the bad people, right? And why would we have an initiation to make sure you are spiritually adept and, and, and prepared and primed to understand this knowledge? Are you mature enough? Are you willing to make sacrifices? Are you willing to drop your belief systems? I'm not in any order. I'm not any in any secret society elsewhere. But like that that's probably mostly the reason I'm going, I'm just speculating. It's just an idea of mine. That that's potentially it. Like you have to be spiritually mature for this stuff. So you earn this ability. And then when you do, it relates back to the title of this video of you learn how to see through the algorithms. You start, you learn how to see the patterns in life. And then when you do that and you strengthen that, you grow, you grow spiritually, you grow a consciousness, and then you become so aware. And all of a sudden you start looking around and you're like, what the fuck is going on in this place? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden I can see things differently. Yeah. Exactly. And then the, that's how, like, even with this story of now taking, you know, we've taken, you know, the Bible and Genesis and paralleled it with even the story of of the King Moravian and stuff. And, you know, where necessarily you may be like, OK, well, why? What's the understanding of that? It's like you begin to see how even the matrix and, and the reality kind of like reflects something of the same frequency and how it lasts throughout time as well. Um, and seeing how maybe even a lot of the truth is kind of concealed in a way in a lot of these um, in a lot of these things like the origins of the Merovingian race or something like that, you know, because even that word uh, derives from Movius, which derives from the French words of mare meaning sea and ver meaning werewolf or dragon. So there's another connection of it. But like we said, it's, you know, it's being able to see the the multiple perspectives of it because in the book of revelation it informs us that the dragon is the devil and satan yet the hebrew word satan 
means an adversary or one who resists. So then, so then again, we should be cons- we should be considering from whose perspective is the story being told. Yeah, astrotheology. Yeah, Satan, Saturn. Yeah, exactly. And so we just need to tell ourselves the story as well to gain that further and and go off that um, that type of understanding and innate guidance of what this actually means and what it means for ourselves. Because there again, that whole Satan or the adversary or the one who resists, that can also be the resistance within ourselves to move past some of these stages in our consciousness and the stages in our life and the way we're affected by things, our beliefs and our emotions. You know, once again, you can get that through even this if you need to go down that certain route or just to fortify it a little bit more. Right. It definitely does take patience in a way, but you know, it'd be like, all right, well guys, what's the point of you telling me this? If, you know, I could just cut corners or, you know, their deeper meanings. Okay. Millions and millions of people are going to church. Million, millions of people are paying a church. We also don't tax them. And in my eyes, they're, that's like a university. You go to a university, right? And you pay thousands of dollars to go to the university, but they don't teach any math there. That school is missing a whole part of a teaching that's necessary for life, and you're paying thousands of dollars to go to that university, yet they're missing a whole sector of knowledge. So I'm not saying studying the Bible or any scripture is bad historically. I'm not saying anything's wrong about tithing and giving them any money or or providing in some donation and helping out and becoming in a, a, a you know uh, in a in a culture or you're 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 gathering and you're communing and all that fine, but in in my studies I see these deeper meanings of the Bible and I've never heard them put in this fashion and at least in any churches I went and my the first half of my life I did go to church with my family. And, um, you know, and they're probably out there. I get it. Some rabbis can teach things a certain way and it might come close to deep allegorical or, you know, or, or, or with the parables, like giving that. But when it comes to the things I've learned that the Bible is mostly astrology, astro theology, it connects to all the myths that the new Testament was written by Greek and the old, the old one is by Hebrew and that there's these deep encoded stories of numerology and divination. And then yet the churches have told us that that stuff's evil. Don't go down that path. Don't you meditate. There's going to be demons that get inside your head. Don't study astrology. That's divination and fortune telling. Don't, you know, but then like, you know, you go to other parts of the Bible and it says, let the stars be for signs. And uh, can you bear the, um, you know, the energies of Orion or something like that, right? And the Pleiades, like all that stuff's mentioned in there, the Maseroth, uh, which, which is the Zodiac. So why are these churches telling me not to look in certain places and then taking my money and then also leaving out a lot of things? And these are questions I ask because there, our taxpayer money goes to that. They get, they get people's hopes up. You know, they, they, they do start these communities and it is great that these people get together and that it's for the best causes or good people. And that's why I would care more. Like if you were to ask like, Ray, why are you questioning this stuff? Why are you trying to prove it wrong? Well, what if these good people are being just led a tiny bit astray or very much astray and, and being like duped out of the real knowledge that the, that Jesus Christ had left for them in that book. And they're not being taught how to read. It's like a book to learn how to read Spanish, but there's a bunch of German words in it. You know, it's like, you're not even learning how to read the book the right way. You're not even saying the words the right way. They're not even getting the proper meanings. What's the point? So if you could see all these analogies I'm trying to make here and why it would be important. And if you're missing a vital part of that biblical uh, book and, 
and the stories and all the things. And you praise this man thinking he's going to come back on a, on a white horse in the sky. Coming down Route 37, you know. I'm t- you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, you know, if, if that's so, but I, but I could give you connections of mythology of, you know, numerology, I won't go down the list again, but you've heard me before. Like if I can give you a list of connections that connect to other cultures, whatever, and you're going to deny that and not listen in a way, I guess you deserve the duping because, because you're not open. Your, your algorithm is shut off. You have your bookmark, you know, pages on your browser and all you do is return to your bookmark pages and you don't go to anywhere new on the internet and you just search the same shit over and over. And that's a metaphor for your mind and your thoughts and the paradigms you hold. So it is important to see these different layers and parallels. And there's plenty more in all these different types of areas. And, you know, you mentioned gematria, which I think actually what we should do is have a whole, uh, an episode based yeah. on gematria. Mm-hmm. And I, I really would like to leave this one at the biblical thing since we went pretty hardcore yeah. within it and not jump around same. now, but like, like just us giving you these examples and uh, by the way and i'm going to go into mine but i wanted to say did you have anything else to say because i wanted to bring up the um i had my bible uh mm-hmm. allegory to yeah, yeah the last thing i'm going to end off with is like that's the other thing too it's not even just about um you know the other part of this is that we may think we have a certain understanding of something and fall under these certain systems or universities or teaching i mean think about the word university it's one verse you know, we may fall under that, under that, and whether the the system knows what it's doing or what it's not, and if, if this goes back to the whole egregore and pendulum talk that we had as well. So if you didn't never heard that or don't understand what the egregore the pendulum is, you should go back to uh, egregores and um, you know that that episode, those episodes that we did, because you fall under this system, right, and then you don't know what you're giving that your energy and your power to. You may be thinking it's the thing of which is being portrayed by that system, but it could be in reality not be that. That's why understanding something along even the lines of where these symbols come from, like just the last thing I want to say is like, for example, any post-World War II propaganda, including films by Steven Spielberg and other Hollywood moguls who are not historians or anthropologists, but are actually globalists with political agendas, there's something we could look at even with the swastika symbol and the star known as the seal of Solomon or David. And those are actually found side by side in antiquity, such as the archaeological ruins of the Temple of Jupiter in the Phoenician city of Baalbek, which incidentally, Japhet um, is where we get the modern English spelling for Jupiter, who in Christianity is St. Peter. The serpent culture stretching from Ireland to India and even deeper into the Far East Asia and Japan. This ties into the ancient Aryan presence in the new world, which is not really new at all and whose entire history has been taught in modern academia and has been corrupted and falsified. So what I'm saying is you could even look at the name America, right? So this would be considered as one of those systems, right? That I'm saying, and we have this American pride, um, saluting the flag, and we're giving all our energy, uh, our conscious energy and our focus and attention to this thing, but we may think that we know the certain principles that it's founded on, but do we really know? Because you could also say that America was not named after Amerigo Vespucci, but after America and an Incan word, which is literally translated into land of the plumed serpent. Another way of saying winged serpent, a symbol edged in the ancient stone of Egypt and Mesopotamia. So now you go back and you can look at even that and where that energetic definition comes from and 
the types of the types of uh, um, uh, energy that kind of like culminated from underneath this symbolism. We've said how symbolism is so important and how words are important and it's in direct correlation with energy and how we manifest reality as well. So I think that's a big thing to take in consideration. Yeah, your layers are always reflecting back to you. That's what. That's why we brought up, say, this, I guess, this area of knowledge first about this, because as we look through time and culture and different religions and belief systems, you're going to see a lot of parallels and things just repeat over and over again. And people have just this, this assumption and like as if they know and that what they know is correct. And I think that was a big issue with the past few hundred years, maybe thousands of you know, the, or, or the dark ages is that humanity became dependent and dependent not only on food and resources, but on beliefs. They get, they became dependent on teachings. They came, they, they gave their power away. And then once you depend on somebody else, you know, by the way, this past few years with the pandemic, what it taught me just on uh, just a, not to, a little sidebar here, but you know, it taught me to not be dependent on anything. You know, I mean, we all had that, you know, some of us got the free money with the, with the unemployment and some of us got, you know, basically got put in a good situation opposed to other people who got put in bad situations where you were given things, you know, and for me personally, at first I was given a lot. And then the second half of it, I haven't really been given anything like jack shit. And I, you know, I moved to Florida and all that. And my point is, is I learned to become independent, not only on my physical resources and things around me and my relationships, but my mind. And so when I wake up every day, the experiences I have within my reality are my own algorithm. They're my own search bar. I don't have anyone else's bullshit showing up in my life. Of course, I share my life with family. I share my life with friends and ideas are spread. But I mean, I, at a point I speculate reality to the point where I brought up the holographic universe is that it's, it's showing up how you perceive it. You know, what you believe creates reality, you know, but you can change your beliefs, which means you can change your reality. And this is down to a literal sense. I'm truly meaning you're reshaping your world with every thought and every feeling. So when we take that into consideration, bring it back to the Bible and we bring it back to our beliefs on religion. Well, if you have certain feelings and interpretations of characters and symbols and stuff, and you're giving them a negative connotation when yet there's this culture over the sea that gave us the serpent a positive connotation, why not question that and start thinking for yourself? Because you've just invested in someone else's thoughts and beliefs. And look, like I said, if you're happy with stifling and staying still and you just got to worry about the bills, kids, all that, I respect you and I respect that. But to the people, I repeat again, to who seek and who want to know deeper and they're, they're trying to look within, well, if you have a religion, if you believe in the Bible, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in Krishna and all of that, it is wise to double check where your thoughts came from, where your sources were, and to stop doing things aimlessly. The pandemic taught me that. You have to make decisions that are calculated. You know, we're, we've been in a very Capricornian energy, right? So it's like, it's all about that calculated chess move and even down to the ways you think. So that's why we find it as an important topic here in the introduction to universal algorithms to introduce, say, even something like a biblical one to this is why it's good to think differently and to transcend the beliefs you once had. Yeah, exactly. Are you making appropriate use of maybe even what you already believe in? You know, these are things to explore and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, so I did want to go through my little parable here, which I'm to this day, one of my favorite. It's it, I'm, I'm still fascinated by this one. And it's funny how we couldn't catch it, but it's, it's a silly one, but it's, 
most definitely very real. And I could prove this. All right, so here's my biblical algorithm. Hebrews 9.4, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the gold pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. So one, the golden pot had manna. Manna is also bread that fell from heaven. Exodus 16.33, and Moses said unto Aaron, take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein and lay it up before the Lord and to be kept for your generations. Manna is, in definition, the food of the children of Israel, which is a vegetable juice hardened into grains, and it's a sweet liquid called mannatite. Manna also is sugar. And so I looked up the uh, definitions uh, just straight from the, the, the dictionary website, first one that comes up on Google, and it says, A, Manna is food miraculously supplied to the Israelites in their journey through the wilderness. B, divinely supplied spiritual nourishment. C, a usually sudden and unexpected source of gratification. And uh, the last two are kind of meaningless. But so we could see it as a, a liquid, a sugary liquid, almost like a milky liquid. So brain sugar, you could look this up, in the body is called galactose. And we heard in the story, manna came from heaven. Heaven means the head or the higher brain. Galactic, galactose, pertains to milk. You know, like lactose intolerant, galactose, mm. right? So mm. we'll be looking for a sweet, milky white substance. Uh, a derivative of the word galactic is galaxy. And the galaxy you live in is called the Milky, milky Way. Way. So manna being a white, sweet substance like milk and it's the white sugary substance in your mind is called galactose, galactic, galaxy, and the galaxy you live in is Milky Way. Now, is that a planned thing from the elite? Is that a is that a placed is that a calculated thing that's placed, or is that just written code about the place mm-hmm. we live in that pops through the matrix code? Yeah. Or were the initiated smart enough to know these deeper stories and put this stuff in there as a, a, a almost like a well like an allegory for the people who would seek and see beyond that and to not really think that bread fell out of the sky for the Israelites uh you know so when it's when a story doesn't make sense to you they say that you know God says to stay right there he's trying to talk to you and so you have to use your logic here and so now we have a sweet and sugary substance we have milk and the milk is sweet and that's where geo I thought of it once you had brought up the land of milk and honey um mm-hmm. So yeah, galactose, it's in your brain. It's a sweet, milky, and sugary substance. Uh, Milk and honey, and it is a land flowing, which your mind is. Aaron's rod that budded, the rod is your spine. It is a uh, symbol metaphysically of yourself, and it is a thing we've all stood on and have hung on to. We've all tried to make things right with ourselves and in the world by emphasizing ourselves. So it's, you're taking it literal, and that's Mm -hmm. the problem. And so there's many different things that we could go into and we're going to eventually go into about scripture and get deeper and and a little even more organized. And I want to start creating videos on this, but one of my favorite, I probably didn't deliver it the best, but um, those are my notes from about a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of my favorite. Yeah. There's some, there's so much to, to, to dive into in that way to get detailed. You know, I think we've done a pretty good job of showing the, uh, the overview of understanding, uh, you know, this reality in this sense as well. And I think it's time now, that's why we're going into it, is to see the the deeper ways of breaking down the allegorical 
ways that we have done in order to explain what we have so far um, and to get that mind open in that way to begin start doing these things yourself and, you know, look in these areas that you already are interested in, things that you already intrigue you and see that 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 matrix coding within all these things and be able to um, come into that that understanding within, you know, within yourself of even these stories and what they mean as well. You know, don't have to hang up on on a specific answer. Um, so I think that was a great thing. And I know we did a lot of the biblical and mythological as well. And I think that was a great place to start too with understanding the creation story and Kundalini as well. Um, but, you know, there's a lot to go into now, even about the astrological aspects of it as well, how, which we know a lot of these teachings and writings um, have a lot of astrological or astrotheological type of, of, um, uh, allegories to them as well. Um, and that goes along with understanding the macro, which then allows us to understand the, the macro, uh, the, the microcosm of our, of ourselves and all of nature. Yep. We start seeing the fractals and the hologram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think that's a good mm-hmm. overview. I think that's where we're going to start and, uh, you know, keep the lookout, uh, for more content, more videos are definitely coming from my end. Uh, I'm, I'm working with, I'll be like Matt, Guys, guys, I'm working with technical problems right now. <laughs> um, my rubber ducky is deflated. Um, my bathwater isn't running, and my computer runs like absolute dog shit. <laughs> so uh, that's been mainly my limitation. Uh, we've mentioned content plenty of times, and we, we're, you know, we're really focused on it. Once we get out of this Mercury retrograde, which is soon. I feel there's going to be a, a push of the engine here. We're going to or a gas pedal and we're, we'll be flying high. But yeah, th- this is a big topic. Uh, not the easiest to really explain because we're really trying to bridge people who know already and people who do not know. And we're finding a middle ground. So, uh, so bear some patience with us and uh, stick around and know that we are going to get deeper and deeper on these understandings and have great, great conversations, eventually have some guests. And uh, Gio, I believe before we get off tonight uh, that you you did work out our, our guest for the end of the month. Yes, uh, probably either. Oh, that was my cat. Uh, end of end of February, uh, most likely maybe in March and stuff, we are going to have Amanda from um, the Mindful Magic Method. She's an astrologer, does sidereal We'll be talking with her because she can she has this understanding of of reality of which we're saying um, and can really connect the astrological parts to it and stuff. And even from kind of trying to understand from, um, you know, the sidereal way of which I think we said before, um, you know, if you're looking at the tropical, it's within this matrix we created and it's like this overall uh, aspect as well. But sidereal would be almost more of this. Uh, encompassing of that matrix as well in a way or vice versa. I can't remember exactly, but that'll be a great, interesting uh, talk to have and, you know, definitely have her on more than once. Um, So yeah, there's that. Um, And yeah, so just, you know, also be sure to make sure to like this video helps out with the algorithm since we're speaking of algorithms uh, and to get this out to other people as well. And so that we can, you know, find a way to reach out to other people get a feel for what their questions are, what they maybe want to kind of understand. And we make sure we incorporate that into the content as well. Absolutely. 
So mm. thanks again uh, for listening, guys, and we will see you next time. Yep. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.